Welcome to the Stories We Don't Tell, a podcast about storytelling. Give it up for Peggy Sue. It was midnight. It was quiet. I was just breathing. I was just listening. I couldn't find the right angle on the pillow. My head was full of noise. And my neck was wrenched from the jaw clench. <sighs> Fuck it. And I get up from my brother's bed and head over to my mom's room. And I just stand in the doorway. And she's lying there on the hospice gurney bed, raspy breaths, mouth gaping, eyes slightly open. Tubes hooked in, cord leads reading out, fresh white sheets. Of course they're fucking fresh. We change them because we're divans and we take care of each other, the three of us, Team 3D. Yeah, hospice could do it, but they don't care. They're not gentle and strong and properly motivated to do a fucking amazing job. This isn't their mother, this is our fucking mother and she's dying. Well, her body is. Our mother died last night. This is just her corpse that we're caring for. You know, in case she's still in there somehow, somewhere, helplessly trapped in this flesh bag of pancreatic cancer-riddled, chemo-poison-filled body. Every four hours, liquid pain drops, syringed out of the vial to a millimeter's measure of accuracy dropped under her tongue. I couldn't do it. My shaking hands kept missing the mark. So much adrenaline could physically bulldoze a house with my body. My brother did it. Adrenaline makes him steady, quiet, focused, detached, no feeling. Me, all the feeling, all the force, all the rage every four hours, draining her fluids. Her body bulged from the sagging weight of fluid seepage. Her organs were splitting apart from the cancerous lesions in her abdomen, pushing up against each other, vying for space, failing to hold together. I drained her tap, the tap that was surgically implanted into her abdomen 24 hours ago, so she could go home on an airplane to Colorado to die with her dog. The tap that almost kept her from being admitted into hospice care, along with a pain pump, because they were too sophisticated for the likes of this backwater hospice team, small town Colorado holy medicine. Your prayers aren't fixing this shit, just perpetuating your condemnable ignorance and slack practice. She tries to shift, but her body won't let her. So she groans. It's time. I kneel down beside her with gloved, washed hands and undress her tap. Uncoil the tube from the drainage bottle, sanitize everything, then hook the tube into her tap. Immediate relief 
as the fluids gush through the tube and down into the bottle, sloshing up a foam from the slurry of blood, bile, urine, and water. Cancer soup. The flow eases off. The color begins to darken. Time to untap the line because too much drainage can be just as painful as too much soup. The organs need just enough space to be gently floating in their marinade. Go to the bathroom, pour the substance down the toilet, rinse out, flush, voila. Blood and guts don't bother me, but being high, trapped in a body, drugged up beyond function and reliable sensation, that was my last memory of my dad. So high he couldn't recognize the world or us. That shit scares me to stillness. My first high was 2014 when I didn't really mind dying. Headed back into the room, I see my brother Joey sprawled out on my mom's old queen bed. I laugh out loud, spread eagle, face up, Mandy, our dog, in between his feet, curled up, hiccuping from nightmares. He had his cell phone clenched in his left hand and the pain pump release button clenched in his right hand. What the fuck, brother? One day we'll laugh at this horror story. I go over to nudge him awake. It's almost my turn to take the pain pump shift anyhow. And as he nods awake, I try to smile at him and ask, Facebook status updates, bro? And he tries to smile, but he winces and says, nah, uh, timer kept, uh, kept falling asleep in between, um, in between button presses. Oh, bro. Our lives existed in hourly increments. We had no idea what day it was. What's a day anyways, but a series of 15 minute increments that bleed into the next. It was dark and hospice was slow to respond because normal people at these hours sleep. Apparently, that's what humans do. But we had been taking turns every four hours at the pump to press it every 15 minutes because her pain was now soaring out of control. And hospice could only increase the pain meds dosage every 12 hours after the max amount had been delivered and was no longer effective, which meant that we fell behind the pain and then had to play catch up with the meds once they upped the dosage, flooding her body with drugs. Our mom was on Dilaudid liquid pain meds, buckets of it, four times stronger than liquid morphine. My brother and I could have bathed in opioids, maybe later. I nudged him over joined him on the bed and we laid next to each other mandy our dog at the foot mom in the next bed and we listened to our mom breathe 
for the timer to vibrate, for the click of the button, for the mechanics of the pump, for the drugs to enter the tubes, for our mom to sigh with relief every 15 minutes, endless quiet, quiet acceptance. And as we silently laid there, enduring in a soft yellow lamp glow, all of a sudden, our mother's corpse lifted out of bed as she sat up and heaved out a croak and a brother and a sister and a dog for the first time seriously considered whether ghosts really existed. She fell back into the bed, fully horizontal, and we sat in stillness. What just happened? Are all the cords still attached? Is she awake? Should we, should we call someone? We just looked at each other. Oh, right. <laughs> There's no one to call. You 24 and 26-year-old pretend adults are it. She was still breathing. So we carried on. Finally, at 8 a.m., Joey and I headed into the living room, nursing coffee and pretending to watch NCIS on TV because mom loved Mark Harmon on NCIS and it was comforting to hear his voice. One last visitor had come to say goodbye to mom from her church and was just now leaving. Things had been running smoothly this morning, all things considered. All the pain meds were working, the tap drained well, Mandy, our dog, was fed and walked. Everyone who had wanted to had made it by the house to say goodbye. We had eaten something that claimed it was edible, likely pudding. Mom loved pudding while on chemo. There was pudding everywhere. And flowers. The smell of dying flowers commingled with the smell of dying mom. Oh no, your mom is dying? <laughs> Let me bring you some plant sex organs that too will die and you will have to clean up their expired corpses once they've died. Just, just so you can see what that looks like over and over again. Hey sis, it's um, it's time for her pain drops. All right, bro, you, um, you need help? No, no, it's, it's cool. And as he headed back into the bedroom, and I melt into the couch and old man Mark Harmon, and I jump when I see my bro to my left. That was, that was quick. And I give him this questioning look. Well, <laughs> um, we don't have to worry about the pain meds anymore. What do, you, what, do you, what do you mean, bro? Mom's not breathing. And as tears began to well up in his eyes and he struggled to find his next words, all I can think as I'm sitting there is, no, 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 come, come back to me, bro. Don't, don't retreat inside of you. It's gonna be okay. I'm here, we're here, we've got this. He says, 
Happy birthday to me. This is Paul Dore speaking on the Stay Ho cast. Yeah, that was not bad. I was wondering what you do with that. Oh, that's not bad. This is the stories we don't tell. Uh, you just heard a story from Peggy Sue. Yeah. Uh, who has been, I think, I believe we've had her once before on the podcast. Well, when we did a, a little mini series of uh, interviewing people uh, about different ways that they, you know, they were all different people doing different things, but they all use storytelling in some kind of way. And um, yeah. She's great, and she is a fashion designer. Oh, I thought we were gonna like say it at the same time. Repeat storyteller. Oh my god, sorry. But man. yes, she also is a fashion <laughs> designer. Yes. <laughs> like I guess it's like well, she's both. You know. Yes. Uh, but yes, she is a repeat repeat storyteller, and that is uh, and that is what we're talking about today. We're talking about repeat storytellers, um, and and what they can bring uh, to you, uh, and sort of the interesting dynamics that come out of having a repeat storyteller. Um, mm-hmm. and the first is that if uh, if you run if you run an event or if you're trying to run an event, um, I'm sure you've experienced the the no you know the the weight is a little less heavy on your shoulders when you when you sort of know when the person when person's done it before and is coming back. Uh, it's a it's a and it's a it's it's a blessing I think to have uh, a number of repeat storytellers who sort of come in when they when they have a story. And and they also understand um, our process. You know, because yeah. we have a bit of a a, a a weird process. We talked about that uh, on the last episode of roadblocks we like to put up in front of people. Yeah, gotta make it as hard as people, hard for people as possible to tell yeah. any stories. And um, it's nice. We, uh, especially people that have come back, it's it's often like, yeah, you just come. You have an open invitation. You know what to do. You know the process. We trust you. We know what you're gonna do. And um, yeah, it's always great. Yeah. And it's interesting to sort of watch their the progression, mm-hmm. you know, from from you the first story as we've you know talked about previously, you know, the origin story sort of idea um, of of you, you know your first story. So often is the story that you know that 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 made you, you know, the yeah. story the story that made you who you are today, and whether mm-hmm. or not that story changes over time um, may may happen, but that but so often that's the first story, you know, especially when people come to events here, everything happened and they they it it, it triggers them to be like, oh yes. I've got a story. So mm-hmm. often that story is sort of like that first kind of like, this is who I am and why. Yeah, and then it's uh, it's always interesting to, uh, which happens a, a lot of times on like the night of, if somebody does a, a story and they finish and they're just like, oh my God, I know what I'm going to do next. Yeah. Which is always cool because they're, they're, to me it means they, they just got, you know, a lot out of the process and they really enjoyed um, being able to share that story with everybody. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and also I feel like there's, you know, I think everyone has has many stories within them. And that's sort of our, that's also the thing we often say to the f- people telling their first story is like, don't tell us everything. You know, tell us what this story is, mm-hmm. uh, but then come back, uh, you know, next month or a couple months from now and tell us the next bit uh, mm-hmm. or that other, that other layer. And... And I think there's a, the level at which those first stories are often are often quite plot driven. I think, uh, you know, they often sort of ha- they surround a, a specific kind of monumental experience, 
Um, and then, and then sometimes you get people who sort of have that one out of the way and then they feel a little more secure in diving into something a little more difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so sometimes you get some, 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 some different types of depth as you move on. And it's, I think almost like it's, it's, uh, maybe this is just, uh, I can speak to like our own experience of doing like many stories, yeah, too exactly. many stories, really. way too many stories. And we, we talked about this, uh, uh, a bunch of episodes again, but that it's, it's almost like you you keep getting uh, like more nuanced, smaller in a way because you like we said you, you know you come in with your first story and you're like you want to tell everything. Yeah, we tell your entire life. Yeah. But then I think as you kind of move on, you get a little bit more like I'm going to tell a story about this one little thing that happened because you have figured out maybe you've figured out like we've talked about before that um, you have a. You know, the, just as people have a, a right, you know, you say you, you got to find your writing voice. I think people have to find their performance voice. And uh, somebody's found that. So then you can, like, kind of get into these sort of more granular kind of uh, stories that are that are really super or can be super emotional or impactful in, the, in, in their own way. Well, yeah. And I think once you get experience of being on a stage, you're you're sort of you're freed a little bit. Um, to be like, okay, well, I've gotten some of those pieces out of, you know, I've gotten some pieces about that through and now, and now what about this, you know, what about this little thing or, or, or sometimes it's, it's not just a little thing. It's, it's maybe a, a theme throughout a part, you know, it's, but it's, it, you, you do free yourself from the need to convince the audience of who you are as a whole person. And which I think, because the audience often, you know, the, the, those, those sort of big grandiose who I am as a human stories are, are, are captivating mm-hmm. but often I feel like the the very the, the, the smaller or the sort of twisted or the you know the the, the minutiae stories or the feeling stories you're coming out I feel like they may not land with the in a broad audience perspective in the exact same way mm-hmm. but they're also the ones that often land with a specific set of people mm-hmm. you know like I feel like they're sort of it sort of changes and it changes from like a, you know, I'm at a, I'm at a, I'm at a play. I'm gonna do this big grandiose thing to like, I'm gonna talk to you about mm-hmm. a thing that you didn't even know anyone else experienced, mm-hmm. but I did, mm-hmm. and then I think that people leave with that a little bit. And and you know what's kind of fun to me is is speaking on the other side of things with the audience is that, uh, you know, we'll it'll be before the show and and people, the audience it, are we get like pretty good repeat uh, audience uh, members and they'll say who's telling a story today and you you tell them oh, Peggy Sue's telling another story and they'll be like yes this is great it's almost like a relationship uh, is built also over time between yeah. the storytellers that are repeat storytellers and the and the audience yeah and the audience that are repeat audience yeah totally yeah there's a level of it's cool yeah well, you're creating sort of a micro you know, like as you know, just reference last last episode, you're making micro community, right? You're bringing people together, and and then and they know people as performers, and it's it's interesting. You, you get these, you're, you're creating these sort of these existences for people, or people are creating these existences for themselves more accurately, uh, where where you know their their day job is X Y Z, but like on a specific Saturday night, they're that storyteller. It, you know, it, it, it's a it's a it's an entirely different identity that that general society is not doesn't have. Yeah, you know, no one is a storyteller in general society, or very few people get to be at least. Yeah, and and it's nice when somebody kind of locks in who isn't, uh, you know, who hasn't done a lot of this uh, specific kind of thing. They try it. They're like, I really enjoy this, and I'm really getting a lot out of this. 
I want to do it again and I want to keep doing it. And like you're saying, you kind of have this other life almost, uh, which is cool. Yeah, I think it's like, and it's 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 a very helpful for us, like yeah. as as producers, uh, yeah. love repeat storytellers. Um, they're so helpful and so great. Yeah, we got to do a shout out to Monica. We miss Monica Humber because like she was the best, and she was like always uh, like a, an amazing storyteller and performer. Um, but uh, always had something, you know, was always, it, it was always funny because he's like, oh, I got something. I don't know if you guys want me to, we're like, yes, please. Yes, come back. Doing this. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, we miss you, Monica. Yeah. We, and the number of repeat storytellers who we've sort of have moved on to, to, to having to leave places is kind of a, a interesting piece of the whole, whole experience of doing it for as long as we have is that when people leave, you're like, oh no, remember that whole year where we got like, we're privileged to hear these people tell stories for, for a while. Yeah. Um, and then whenever someone comes back and you're like a second time, you're like, oh, maybe they'll stay. Yeah. And, and so this is an open call yeah. to all storytellers that might be listening who have told a story at our event. Yeah. Come back. Come tell, back, please. Tell another one. Yeah. Do it. Do we it. will we will talk about you uh, and we will give you a shout out in a hundred episodes from now in the same way we just gave Monica one. Subscribe to the Stories We Don't Tell podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, leave us a review on iTunes. For more information about the podcast, blog, and live events, find us on Facebook or visit storieswedonttell.org. This episode of the Stories Don't Tell podcast is brought to you by Detective Monica Homburg. Because if you need to solve something, she's on it. That's great, but she's a private investigator. Damn it!